Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast, episode 16. I am your host, DJ Pajowski. Happy to have you back. Uh, we've got an awesome one today with Gil Hance. Uh, Gil certainly doesn't need much of an introduction to this audience. He's one of the most popular architects in golf. You probably hear his name all the time. Uh, we talked about a ton of different topics, had a great conversation. Uh, earlier this year, I got a chance to spend some time with Gil at Pinehurst, where he's redoing the number four course. And spoiler alert, there's a story about this in Golfer's Journal number five, which is just about to ship uh, if you haven't gotten it already. For this chat, we talked quite a bit about that work at Pinehurst, as well as a number of other things uh, from music to equipment to professional golf to uh, kind of everything we can think about. And a quick plug, if you're interested in seeing the work that Gil did at Pinehurst number four, which he talks about kind of extensively in this episode, uh, we're actually having a Golfer's Journal subscriber event there the last week of September, and there's still just a few spots available. Uh, go to golfersjournal.com if you're interested in joining us for that. Uh, we're going to play number four, number two, the cradle. We're going to do a live podcast. It's going to be a ton of fun, so definitely come join us if you can. As always, we are made possible by the readers who subscribe to the Golfer's Journal. Uh, issue number five means we're rounding the corner into our second year, and we couldn't have done that without the thousands and thousands of people who have signed up to receive these in the mail uh, four times a year. And so thank you guys so much for everything you've done in that regard. And of course, we are also made possible by our sponsors, Scotty Cameron, Link Soul, Titleist, New York Private Bank and Trust, Electric Sunglasses, and Links and Kings. And now without any more talking from me, let's get right to my chat with Gil Hans. How much uh, golf do you actually play as as someone who is seemingly insanely busy uh, traveling around and uh, designing golf courses? How much do you actually get out yourself? I think I, I post about 20 to 25 scores a year, which I'm trying to get better on actually posting uh, to maintain a, a legitimate handicap. <laughs> um, but I've actually, I, you know, I've played three rounds in the last four or five days, so you caught me on a roll. Um, I've been, <laughs> good friend of mine does a little outing for small group at national golf Links, so i got in two rounds there which is heaven to me and then i played in a i was a speaker at a charity event on fisher's island for a hospital um on sunday night and i played in the pro-am yesterday so slumming it nationally <laughs> i was gonna say it's it's probably not too tough to uh find the motivation to play when when those are the invites that are going up yeah you're absolutely right. So what when you when you play, what's your what style of golf do you like to play? I mean, do you are you a play everything down, count every shot? Are you a listen to music, I don't care what I shoot? Are you somewhere in the middle? What's what's your style there? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of it depends on the the people I'm playing with. Um, you know, I'm generally more the I don't really care what I shoot and let's just go have fun and I tend to play better when I when I go that way. So I, I like to play with guys who uh, who enjoy that type of, of golf. I'm definitely not a grinder. I just can't focus that long. And, and I'm <laughs> e easily distracted by the surrounds and the golf course. And so, yeah, I can generally only focus on one thing at a time. And I like to look around and look at look at what's happening on the course. Well, so there's, there's obviously about 50 million things to talk to you about kind of concerning your work over the last 20 years or so. But uh, the big one I want to focus on today is uh, your work at Pinehurst. Uh, obviously, Golfer's Journal number five is going to be hitting you know people's mailboxes pretty quick. I had a chance to sit down with you in uh, Pinehurst and, and talk to you a bit about your work there and kind of write a piece about that. So 
uh, I, if you could kind of just sum up uh, really what the what the assignment was, I guess, and uh, kind of where that where that project is now and, and how you're feeling about everything. Yeah, I think it was, you know, we originally started talking to uh, Bob Dedman and Tom Pashley at Pinehurst uh, in regards to the, the cradle and uh, doing the short course as well as uh, this will do. And then it, that quickly merged into a conversation about the, the core of the resort and, you know, courses one through five and, and everything right around the, the clubhouse. And obviously Bill and Ben did such a great job with course number two and that started everything in motion. And with their restoration of, of number two, it, it put, it restored the, the character, the sort of Carolina Sandhills aesthetic in, in such a powerful way and in such a a way that, that reflected what Donald Ross saw and what he created that you know, Bob and Tom really felt strongly that this was the right way to keep moving forward. So uh, after we, we figured out what, what we were going to do with the cradle, we started to really talk more about Course 4, and I, they asked me to just go out and walk around, and then Jim Wagner came down, and we, we talked about how we thought we could uh, restore the landscape because that golf course had been changed so many times putting the, the landforms back in place and then uh, you know, using the, the template that Bill and Ben had done and then Kyle Franz uh, employed so successfully over at Midpine uh, throughout the entire property. So we just took it from there. And, and you know, I've always felt, I think most people have felt, uh, that the land that course number four sits on is the most beautiful and, and aesthetically pleasing and has some of the, the nicest topography. So we had to figure out how do we restore that? How do we use the corridors that are in existence? Where do we deviate from that? You know, Jim and I felt pretty good about, about what we came up with from the design standpoint. Then it was, all right, how much do we pay attention to the features on course number two? And do we try to build a tribute golf course? And I, you know, Jim and I never felt like that was the right way to go. When you've got the best possible example of of that style of architecture sitting literally right next to your golf course, why would you ever try to emulate it or outdo it? That <laughs> right. would just be stupid. So we we focused more on some of earlier raw stuff, uh, more rectangular greens and, and bump and run shots and the ability to, you know, instead of all the, the contours repelling shots from the green, you know, some, some uh, contours would actually be supportive to the ground game. And then we looked at the features of the, the property and it's a much bigger, broader canvas. So we wanted bigger features than that existed on course two. And when you wrap all that together, we're really proud and, and happy with what we came up with on, on course four. Um, it, it wasn't without its challenges. I mean, it's been a, no secret to you. It's been a very rainy, uh, wet summer here on the East coast. And we've been fighting it. Uh, you know, sand likes to move when it's sitting on the side of a hill and, uh, so there have been some uh, some having to go back in and fix things, which is people always ask me, what's the biggest challenges for golf course architecture? It's when you've got something perfectly shaped and you're loving the way it sits there and the way it looks, and then Mother Nature just wipes it out. <laughs> just, just blows it up, yeah. Uh, it just, it, but the thing that, that we've learned over time is it always goes back, and frequently it goes back better. So you just have to kind of be patient, suck it up. It's difficult. You allow the cavemen. The guys that were out there working on the on the project, they don't have nearly as long a track record as Jim and I do, and so that can be very frustrating. If, you know, first or second project you've ever been on, but um, those challenges aside, we're really proud and happy with the way it's, it's come along. You know, um, 
the, the maintenance staff, who you live up Bob Farron, Kevin Robinson, um, have done a, a great job of getting it grown in. I haven't been there in about a month, so I'm excited to get back down and see it before it opens. But everything I've heard is it's on target to uh, be ready to go for its opening uh, September 20th. Well, you mentioned the the number two course, which obviously was it was kind of a you know, groundbreaking sort of restoration, I guess, when, when it happened, you know, it was, it was certainly not, you know, we've seen a lot more restorations kind of go that way and that style. And, and certainly you've been a part of quite a few of them, but I'm curious from your perspective as an architect, you know, what was that like to watch from, from afar? I mean, was there excitement around, uh, kind of that style being more legitimized or, or, you know, what was your, what was your take on that when you saw what Bill and Ben were, were going to take on? Yeah, I, I was thrilled. Um, obviously, they're the best in the business, and, and they're so meticulous, and they are so careful not to do anything to alter, you know, the original context, especially of a Donald Ross golf course. And so I think that uh, Pinehurst tapped them on the shoulder to ask them to do it. The fact that they are so cautious in their approach, and, and, and appropriately so, and then they accepted the commission anyway, I felt like this is great. I mean, those guys are going to just knock it out of the park, and they did. And, and I think that you know, allowing people to see it on the biggest stage in golf uh, for the U.S. Open in 2014 was, was, was eye-opening. And there was some controversy. You know, there's some people that really didn't like it and, or didn't understand it. But the fact that they, they, they stuck to the mission – they did the right thing for that golf course. They did the right thing, I think, ultimately for sustainable design. They went back to a single row irrigation system, which is just awesome that somebody had the guts or stones to do that. I think has helped all of us because it allowed us to do that on course number four. So now you're going to get crispy around the edges. And, and the presentation of the golf course is going to be so much closer to um, the traditional, more classic presentation instead of wall-to-wall green. Now it's much more seasonal, much more climate controlled. You know, if it's a wet year, it's going to be green. If it's a dry year, it's going to be brown. And, and those types of chances have allowed, uh, you know, everyone else in the business to point to that as a nice beacon to say, hey, well, it worked here. And the interesting thing was we were right in the middle of restoring L.A. North when they were doing Pinehurst Number 2. So it was kind of a fun, both obviously historic in, in the the way they tackled the, the approach to the architecture, but uh, different, obviously, from a climate standpoint and, and a presentation standpoint, but kindred spirits in the, you know, the respect that we paid for the original designs. Right, for sure. Uh, so there was another aspect to the project at Pinehurst that was obviously pretty interesting, which is kind of where you laid your head at night. Uh, do you want to talk about that story a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, it was probably... And we've had a ton of great things happen for us and to us uh, while we've been in this career and in this life. But it, it, it's per, perhaps, and I think it is the most meaningful thing that's ever opportunity has been extended to us. I mean, to to work in the shadow of course number two and then to have been given the opportunity to live in Donald Ross's house, uh, I, I don't know how it can get any better. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you – Every night you go home and you pinch yourself and you're like, really, I'm sitting here? Or you go in and work at night and, and sit in his office and um, draw plans. It, it, it gave, gave me goosebumps. Uh, Tracy, my wife, we, 
we were very comfortable there. Obviously, we could walk right outside, and you're on right on course number number two. And we kept getting asked, you know, have you woken up in the middle of the night, you know, see his ghost or any ghost <laughs> stories? And I kept saying, no, and I really don't want to. <laughs> it wouldn't be a fun thing. So, yeah, it was it was it was wonderful. And for you know, Bob Deadman came up to me at the Walker Cup at LA North, and we. He said, oh, I've got some great news. I said, what is it? And he said, well, we've, we've bought Donald Ross's house for the resort. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. That's great. He said, yeah, we're going to use it for different events in corporate. We'll have opportunities to, you know, have functions there, et cetera. But we're not going to do that until after you and Tracy live there or, you know, while you're doing course number four. And I, I almost cried. I mean, it was just <laughs> one of the most touching things ever. So it, was, you know, it, was, it, it added so much to the experience. And it's cool. I mean, the, the house is so... Uh... I don't know what I say, but it's so kind of representative of Pinehurst itself. It seems like, you know, it's it just the style of architecture, obviously, but then just the, the way of, you know, how cozy it feels and how kind of neighborhoody it feels. I mean, Pinehurst just has kind of this this feeling that you don't really find anywhere else in kind of American resort golf, I guess. I don't know if that was your your take on it or not, but, uh, you know, if you, could you kind of sum up, I guess, Pinehurst for, for maybe somebody who's never been there or, or what it was like to kind of wake up there every day? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a village that is completely entranced by golf. I mean, it is just one of these places that everything, almost everything about it is it's small town USA centered around golf. And it's just one of these things that it's hard to explain. I mean, if you love golf, it is a wonderful place to visit. And, and it was a wonderful place to live uh, you know, for five months. We, we had an absolute ball there. And uh, you know, one last kind of aside is, you know, Bill Coor is always teasing me that we come along like last. You know, we, we're built the third course. Every time we show up, he's already built a golf course. <laughs> and he's, had to, he's had to rough it and endure all these hardships. And you think he was a pioneer. And, um, and we get to come along, and there's one of his golf courses that we get to play, which is phenomenal. And then, you know, we get to stay in the fancy resorts. And, well, when Bob Deadman told Bill that we were going to do course number four he was excited about that but they said and also we're gonna Bill's gonna get to stay in Don Ross's house and apparently Bill just looked at him and shook his head and he said you know that's just not right <laughs> that's funny so, uh, it, it'll gives me one more one up on Bill <laughs> well you uh you kind of touched on it a little bit in in the first question there but as far as number four goes I mean like you said, it wasn't it wasn't aimed to be a true kind of restoration, which you guys have done done a lot of. And I'm I'm curious if you could kind of get a little more in the weeds on what specifically you guys kind of aim to change or bring back or make new or or any of those kinds of things. We've got a we've got an event, uh, golfers journal event coming up in a few weeks where people are going to kind of get to see number four before it opens. And so basically, you know, what kind of things should they be? on the lookout for either if they had played the course or hadn't played the course yet? So the, the, the original Ross uh, course number four is no longer in existence. They had uh, made changes to it. I think a variety of iterations, Trent Jones, uh, I think uh, Mr. Tufts was in there. Uh, then Reese Jones and Tom Fazio. So there have been three or four different iterations since Ross and they've sold off portions of Ross's course for real estate. So there was no way to, to do a true restoration of the golf course. So what we looked at was 
we took old aerial photographs. Uh, there's a historian named Chris Bowie who lives in Pinehurst and has written the book on Donald Ross, and it's just was such a huge help to us. Anytime we'd have a question about, well, would Ross have maybe done this? My email box would have six, you know, examples of yes, Ross did do this, and he did it here, 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 and here, and which was phenomenal to have a resource like that. So we looked at some of the the layout from the original Ross course number four and bunker patterns, and and when he was involved, there were sand greens. So you really, you know, the shaping of the greens was there were just these ovals, you know, showed up on the aerials, white ovals. So we looked at bunker patterns, we looked at some of the lay of the land, and tried to replicate those in in different areas. So as much as we could, it's really the, the, the closest ties we could make to, to Ross as it related to, to course number four. The rest of it was kind of dismantling uh, earthworks that had been done before and trying to reconnect the landscape. This is the best way that I can describe it, is putting ridges back where ridges existed, putting valleys back where valleys were. Uh, a lot of the landforms had been flattened out, which was you know, kind of style for modern architecture uh, when some of the work was done. If if the, the readers of Golfer's Journal that show up look at that property and go, wow, this is a great natural piece of ground, then we've done our job. Right. You know, if they can't tell that we reconnected and put the entire landscape back into place, then I think that that's you know, a huge accomplishment and probably priority number one from our perspective. Um, after that, it's just sort of looking around at, at how the the fairways move through the landscape, how the uh, sandy areas integrate and, and, and kind of tie the the maintained turf into the tree lines, uh, the introduction of a lot of wiregrass in order to make that transition. I think those are, are, are key components. The, the holes that have been altered the most significantly, I mean, every hole has a new green, a new new bunkers, et cetera, but they mostly play in similar corridors to the, to the previous design. But hole number four is, is a par three uh, that we moved. The green was down by the water. We moved it up on the ridge. It, it has some similarities to uh, hole number seven at Palmetto Golf Club in Aiken, South yeah. Carolina, where really sharp drop off to the, uh, the right-hand side of the green. It's, I really think that hole turned out quite well. Um, then number six is a completely is another par three. We really focused on the par threes in moving them around and shifting the, their corridors. We had a little bit more flexibility. So six is um, in the last the previous design played downhill. Ours now plays slightly uphill across a a big valley. Then nine we've we've installed a Helltap acre uh, for the second shot. There's a, a you know, significant hazard, which, as I mentioned earlier, we wanted the scale of the hazards on, on our version of Course 4 to feel more in, in concert with the bigger scale of the property. Uh, hole number 11 is another new par 3 that's in a corridor that Trent Jones had used, but Tom Fazio in his most recent uh, version had abandoned that hole. So 11 is a new par 3. And as you wind your way through it, uh, you know, 17 is a little bit longer par 5 than was there before. 16 is potentially drivable par 4. Uh, and, and 18 is, is, is a bit of a, a bit of a brute coming back in, but we really love the way that, that all those landforms tie together. And as you you know walk up towards the, the green, the clubhouse really starts to emerge as, as the backdrop, which we thought was, was a nice way to finish the round. So 
I think it's it's, a, it's all about the you know, three or four new whole corridors, new scale, uh, hopefully fun and, and interest in and around the green. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, like I said, I'm really we're really proud of what what we accomplished down there, and excited for everyone to see it. Well, when I was there, uh, you you had me get in the bulldozer, and I accidentally put a huge hole in the middle of one of your tee boxes. Did you leave that there, or was that going to go ahead and be smoothed out? Uh, unfortunately, we had to smooth that you out. Had to, you had to un- <laughs> undo my architectural work. There might be a, a slight depression, but I didn't think the hole would actually work out very well. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll trust your judgment on that. That's that's fine. Um, yeah. So, I, again, I know it wasn't kind of a true uh, restoration in in – you know, the true sense of the word, but obviously you worked on a ton of, you know, Ross signatures and stuff that you've kind of mentioned. I'm curious what some of, some of your favorite signatures of his are and, and what you kind of tried to, to call back to or, or kind of reference almost. Yeah. You've got, you see a lot of, uh, in his designs, your bunkers like 30 or 40 yards short of, of greens. Um, you know, back in the day when there wasn't much irrigation or any irrigation, you know, those bunkers were, would be hazards that needed to be carried in order to get the ball to bounce in the approach. And uh, we've restored a handful of those on, on the golf course. So that's a bit of a touch of an old school. You see a lot of that on course number two uh, as well. Um, you know, I think the greens on, on course four are a tamer version, sort of more low profile, sitting, hugging the ground a little bit more than, uh, than the ones on course number two. One thing we did, did observe and I, I thought it was interesting the more we looked at course number two in the greens and everyone talks about how they're propped up in the air from our perspective there actually were more you always can find a spot where the greens on number two tie into the surrounding landscape and it's almost like he dug out around them to create the illusion that they sit up in the air more so but it was more the creation of now we're going to really geek out it's probably people who listen to this will appreciate but really get the, the negative space right. uh, around the greens as opposed to the you know, positive and raising it. And so we, we tried to do that where we could, we would go down as opposed to going up um, as it related to the surrounds of, of the greens and, and the golf course. So I think that that was a nice touch that we observed uh, from, from course number two. Um, I think one of my favorite <clears throat> holes on the property is, is hole number eight, which sits in pretty much the same place that that Ross had had hit a golf hole. It wasn't number eight, but uh, and it has a, a large cross bunker that provides all kinds of opportunities. You know, if you if you want to try and carry it and drive over it, now you're up elevated, great angle into the green. You can almost look down on the green. If you play around it or the left of it, the contours actually take your ball further from the hole and you become more blind. Uh, if you lay up short of it, the closer you get to it, the better your visibility, the further you stay away, you become more blind. And so I think it's like three or four different uh, options or thoughts as to how you want to approach the, the tee shot on that hole. And, and that, from what we could glean and from what Chris Bowie had mentioned, that seemed fairly similar to what, what Ross had done. So it's uh, you know, the use of obscured vision as, as a penalty on, on a golf hole. Uh, we use that in a few instances where we would just raise the top lines of bunkers to, to create the illusion that the green was a lot closer so that, uh, you know, those sorts of visual tricks and, and cues we, we, we focused on. So I think some of those are some of the 
the observations we've made at other Ross golf courses and that we've, we tried to incorporate on in our work on course four. Well, so I'm really happy to hear you say that. Cause that was one of the, the big things I took away from walking around with you that day, kind of mid construction was, you know, I remember you talking about a lot of those kind of deception style bunkers. And, and one of the things you, you had kind of said, you know, offhand a little bit was, you know, well, everybody has a laser now, so they're going to know the distance of the flag anyways. And it kind of takes away some of this art of uh, kind of visual trickery. And I'm curious, is that, uh, you know, when, when people get asked how technology has kind of, you know, changed a job like yours, I'm sure a lot of the conversation obviously gets, gets spun to distance, which is a huge part of it as well. But uh, little things like that, I think, are, are things that probably don't get talked about very much. And I'm just curious kind of how that, how that makes you feel when you're, when you're putting, you know, that, that much thought and energy into it and then someone lasers, okay, well, it's, it's 185. I know exactly how far it is. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of those, uh, fact could play with, and play with some friends of ours and say, are you going to cheat today or not? <laughs> and so it's whether that comes up. And, and I also think the same with these green reading books, the, the fact that a computer, you know, I, I've always believed that if your ability to judge a distance or to figure it out or to be able to read putts is better than mine, then advantage to you. That right. has traditionally always been a part of the game of golf. And to dumb that down or to take that skill set away or minimize it, I think, is, is a loss for golf. I get it, and I hear people say, well, it speeds up play. Well, not really when you're standing there pressing the buttons on the thing. I mean, pace of play is all it's all in the golfer. If you're ready to play, you should be ready to play, whether you're having to pace something off or whether you're having to just kind of estimate what the yardage is. And, and frankly, nine out of ten of us aren't good enough that it really is going <laughs> to matter all that much, um, right. you know, whether you're within a couple of yards or two or three yards. So it's my soapbox moment. But, yeah, I think it is a bit frustrating because we, we know, we've observed, we've read from their writings and – that that was a, a key component of, of golden age golf course architecture, that it wasn't always, uh, you know, my, my least favorite phrase in golf. Well, you know, I love that course because it was all right there in front of me. So <laughs> name me a really great golf course that's all right there in front of you. They, right. they, they just don't exist. And so I think that those, uh, the use of topography, the use of hazards, uh, in order to, you know, with McKenzie, obviously, did a great job I mean, to camouflage what's actually happening and to reward thoughtful study. I mean, if a golf course is worthy of thoughtful study, then in my mind, that's a, that's a, a fantastic start for the quality of the course. You know, it's going to be good. And to remove you know, the need for thoughtful study by reducing it down to the pressing of a button or the reading of a computer generated uh, green plan, uh, you know, I, that makes me sad as it relates to the overall uh, quality of the game. So I guess kind of sort of related to that, do you, you know, do you watch much pro golf when you're, when you're, you know, just recreationally, uh, obviously, you know, if a, you, you've had tournaments staged at your courses, you know, plenty of times as well. So I'm sure you keep an interest in that regard, but you know, just on a Sunday afternoon, if you're, you know, are you watching a, uh, a golf course that's right out in front of the players or, or what kind of makes you tune in or not tune in? Yeah, I, I tend to watch tournaments that are played on courses that I have an interest in. Um, I mean, at the start of the season, I'm watching a lot because generally, I, you know, where I live, it's cold. So you want to see sun and you want to see green grass and you want to see 
uh, you know, people out in warm climates. So the, you know, the West Coast swing, I, I almost watch every single week just because it's that time of year. But as the season goes along and I'm outside more, uh, I'll only usually tune into tournaments where I, I think the golf course is interesting. I'll certainly watch the majors. Uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm a golf fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I really, I, I do enjoy it. And funny enough, sometimes you know we we try to push uh, the envelope a little bit on some of our designs that have been on tour. And, and if we've done something that's fairly controversial, I'll generally watch the tournaments. Uh, on our courses or courses we've been involved with with the sound off because I really don't want to I don't want to get my blood pressure cooking and yeah I just want to really watch and see how the guys play it and I want to hear the commentary about well you know the players really hate that bunker that they put in you know that just there's no joy in that so I'll, I'll turn the sound off sometime yeah that's such a that's such a hard spot to be in for you guys I feel like because it's such a uh there's just so many aspects that go into all of those things, whether it's distance or competition or, you know, financial aspects or, or all of these things. And it's just such a nuanced thing usually that, you know, when one person comes out and the first thing they say is, you know, oh, that whole sucks, then it just seems like it makes up all the viewers' minds for them. And it's just such a – it's an uphill battle. I think you guys are fighting a lot of the time. Well, it is. And the, and the thing that's most frustrating about it, I, I mean, if the players don't like it and they have an opinion, that's – great i mean i'm happy but nobody ever asks them for their to articulate why they don't like the hole right why they don't like the bunker it's just how's that hole oh, i think it's awful really yeah it's terrible and then that's it they never <laughs> next, ask next question to, to explain yeah why but if if something comes across and somebody says well that hole's terrible then they want our reaction well then we have to explain exactly every why we did that right. um and you know what the and but there's no dialogue there's no give and take and i would be curious i would love for people in the media to really sort of press and say well why don't you know what what is it about that that you don't like and because then we could actually learn something right i mean if they were they had a valid criticism and a valid reason then that would help jim and i to do you know or at least to consider other options when we were designing polls that you know that the tour is going to play but if all we hear is terrible well that's that number one doesn't teach us anything. And number two, it just gets us upset. It's just also, it's gotten to a point now where it's just so hard that, you know, Rory McIlroy talking about his game and how he looks at a golf hole is, I mean, he's playing a different sport than what I'm playing. Like, it's just, it's so, you know, it, it's not the same thing. We shouldn't be, you know, it's almost like we shouldn't be playing the same courses. I mean, it's just, you, you can't, uh, I don't know. It, it, I guess that's a question for you. Do you feel like you can, is the gap getting so wide now that it's hard to design a place for, you know, the, the ultra elite and the 15 handicap that, that they can both enjoy? Or, or how do you feel about, about that? I, I think the gap is widening. It's, it's, it's definitely getting, you know, I mean, watching the PGA championship, which was great television. I mean, it was really fantastic. Um, but <clears throat> I, I can't, I'd have to go back and watch again or well, I won't, but if I did, how many times did a guy hit more than like an eight iron into a par four? Right. Yeah. I, I can't think. I mean, it was like everybody, oh, he's got a wedge. He's got a nine iron or, you know, it's a 520 yard par four. And the guys are hitting driver and, and wedges or nine irons. And it's just, I mean, I, I don't know how you combat that. Yeah. I think with, what was, was last year uh, at Aaron Hills, I think it was what? 7,800 yards or something like that. And I don't think Brooks had anything yeah. more than a seven iron. 
all week. Yeah, I mean, it was <clears throat> we did the the 12th hole at TPC Boston last year, which you know was probably the hole that we're talking about when the guy said it's terrible and basically took driver out of the longest guy's hands um, and asked everybody else to make a decision how far they wanted to push up to shorten their and you know somebody asked DJ what he had to hit into and he said he had to hit a six iron and said you know what was the longest club you fit into a par four this year and he thought about it and he said I think an eight yeah so nice. you know it just it doesn't so I mean when you and I are playing man I'd would love to be hitting eight or nine irons in a <laughs> Right. So, yeah, the, the gap is definitely widening, and, and it, you can't combat it with length. But that's been proven. And if you try to combat it with, um, you know, thoughtful strategy or you really pinch, and, and, uh, players generally don't tend to like, you know, those solutions either. So it, it's, it's a really tough spot to be in. But, hey, I don't want to sound like I'm crying about it. We're very lucky that we get to, to work on courses where those guys play. And, and Jim and I are going to keep trying the best we can to figure out ways that, you know, we can we can do things to to make it more challenging yet still keep it interesting for the, for the rest of us who play it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, a, just a couple more and I'll let you get back to it here. But uh, I'm curious, you know, obviously we've talked a ton, <laughs> rightfully so, about uh, your own golf courses. I'm curious what you've seen. Uh, from other architects just recently or, you know, in, 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 you know, courses that haven't been opened yet or, or what it might be that either you have seen and completely loved or uh, something that you've seen or that you haven't seen yet that you're really, you know, is high on your list. Yeah, I, I think the, the courses up at Cabot are, are phenomenal. Um, uh, I, I think that they're, they're just great. I mean, and, and even the, you know, the cliffs, the in, some of the interior holes are, are just terrific architecture. And, you know, we all focus on the holes along the along the cl- coastline, but the ones in the interior are, are fantastic. So I really enjoyed visiting there. Uh, I thought, you know, Bill, Bill and everything they do is fantastic. I, I, you know, seeing Sand Valley and then seeing Trinity Forest, uh, and the difference between the two, um, I think that those were great. I really, really liked Trinity Forest. I was delighted that the players um, either just, you know, didn't share their feelings or <laughs> genuinely liked it. Yeah. Um, and realized that, you know, I think they went into it fearing the worst, and they came out and said, hey, this actually is fun to play. Would they want to play it 40 weeks out of the year? Probably not. But uh, as, as a change of pace for what they're used to playing I, I thought it was great and it was fun to watch I, he asked me earlier what what did I watch I definitely watched uh, that tournament um, I, I'm excited to see what Tom Doak's done at Bel Air I haven't been out there uh, since the, the work was done I, I did see a little bit under under construction I'm sure it's a, a huge improvement and certainly anytime you can you know, get someone as talented as Tom focused on restoring George Thomas uh, I, I can't wait to see that um, I think that Keith Foster is doing a lot of really great uh, restoration work. Uh, the work he did at Philly Cricket is fantastic. So I always look forward to seeing what what he what he does. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there are a lot. There's a lot of good stuff being done out there, and the restoration end tends to be people focusing on history and old old school architecture, and, and the newer stuff tends to be you know focused in what I like and what hopefully we're trying to build in, in that very, uh, very natural 
sort of lay of the land style. All right. Well, last uh, last question, and if this is dumb, we'll uh, we'll edit it out. So so no worries if, <laughs> if it is. But I, I want to talk music a little bit. You're you're obviously a uh, a big music guy. I tried uh, I tried dropping in a bunch of very very subtle uh, Grateful Dead references into my piece. I think Travis edited most of them out. So uh, unfortunately, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, those got dropped. But uh, they were they were not they were off the mark anyway. So. Uh, all right. So if, if we're building a kind of a soundtrack of, of your career here, I'm going to name right. some I want to name some courses and you tell me the song that, that you would correspond with uh, with that course. All right. Oh, wow. All right. This is you, you have to give me some time to think. Yeah. I'll, yeah I'll no worries. As, as, as spontaneous as I can. All right. Uh, Boston Golf Club. Um, Stairway to Heaven. Really? Okay. That's a big one to yeah, start. Yeah, it just kind of really just sort of starts out. I mean, it was a really, I don't know, it was kind of a slow, we were early in our career, slow build up to it, and then just, wow, it kind of takes <laughs> off and goes. Uh, stream Song Black. Um, that would have to be sort of a big, lush, um, we're going to go dead until i guesstimated profit okay wow <laughs> that's a deep pull I, lo I love that one uh all right castle stewart hmm. i mean that was such a collaborative project it was really started off you know everybody feeling each other out mark parson and, and Stuart mccomb and jim and i and, and kind of dancing around and then finally <laughs> After a little bit, we, we hit our stride. Um, uh, how about Bohemian Rhapsody? Okay, I like that. <laughs> Just very very layered and and uh, yeah, yeah. Know, very well, well well packaged. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the Olympic course. Uh, I mean that's been our sort of our, our opus to date. Um, uh, you know I love I love Southern Rock. I mean Freebird. Okay, I like I like that one. Just finally can just you know the build up yeah, and then you just let it go at, at the end. And everybody always you know even when you're joking around and you're another show and it's encore time, everybody's like free bird. <laughs> Do another one of those. Do another uh, one of those. <laughs> all right, last one. Uh, the cradle at Pinehurst. Oh gosh, you know uh, I love uh, song two by Blur. <laughs> I mean, it is just like, you know, barely two minutes long, and it is just, boom, go, 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 fun, fun, fun. Uh, yeah, so that would probably work. All right, I love that. Well, let's cap it off there. Gil, thanks so much for the time, and I'll let you get back to, uh, what are you, what's it going to be, Grateful Dead Radio today? It is. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It says Unbroken Chain is playing as soon as I hang up. All right, well, I'll let you get back to that. Thanks so much for the time and, uh, and everything, and we will uh, look forward to seeing Pinehurst number 4 in a couple weeks here. Thanks, DJ. Always good talking to you. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Thanks again to Gil for joining, and thank you guys for listening. Again, if you are interested in seeing his work at Pinehurst Number 4, come join us at our Golfer's Journal event on September 27th and 28th. Go to golfersjournal.com to find more information on that event, as well as the event we're having earlier in September at Goat Hill Park. And until then, thanks again for listening. We will talk to you guys next time.